0: Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale yon McCool cool cullen cool dear draw the sorrows drawn you wail, From giants right down to fairies about the drooping and solitary And ghosts who are sometimes scary Anything goes by the fireside yeah. Fireside, the buka fireside, the marrow fireside. Kings and queens, fat and heroes, don't you run from the fun? there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish Storytelling Podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself, and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan, I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 53 of Fireside, the Irish Storytelling Podcast. We're coming to you, as always, from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network studio, right here in Dublin. Um, If you are a first-time listener, you are very welcome. If you're a returning listener, uh, thank you so much for your continued support. If you enjoy this podcast, please do follow us on Instagram at FiresideBard. All one word, it's the best place to contact me if you want to do so. And it's the best place to get all of the updates on this podcast and about the live shows and everything to do with Fireside and the Fireside Bard. Uh, Thank you... Thank you to Alan and Paddy here at Headstuff and to Jamie, my producer, uh, for continuing to edit and produce this podcast. Nice to get the thank yous in the beginning sometimes as well as at the end. We are continuing our look at the Ulster cycle. This is the final uh, prelude story, prequel story to The Tawn, the great cycle of Irish mythology. So if this is your first time listener, I highly recommend you at least go back to... If not to the story of uh, Conor Mac- Cunkabar McNassa, then certainly the first story about Cú Cullen. But this one, this one actually is a funny one, this story. This seems like it's the most out of place. Not out of place, but doesn't really feature any of the characters we have featured. And seems to be quite different in tone and style, but is still very, very integral and... It really is the the real kicker into, like, this is kind of what gets the tawn in motion, as you will soon see very clearly. I really liked it. It's not a story I knew at all before adapting it for the podcast. And I really enjoyed doing so. It's great crack. and There's a lot of fun to it. So without further ado, um, adieu, that was it. That was that word. That I used to mispronounce. Um, this is the Quarrel of the Pig Keepers on Fireside. Quarrel of the Pig Keepers. There was once two pig keepers. They were called Frook and Rucht. Frook was named after the bristle on a boar's snout. And Rucht after the sound of a pig's grunt. Fruk and Rokht were the best of friends, but people were always trying to tear them apart. You see, Fruk was the pig keeper of Bow, the fairy king of Munster, and Rokht of Ockel Ochna, the fairy king of Connacht. The two kings of the Shi were constantly at odds with one another, and the friendship of the two pig keepers had to endure that. Despite this, Rucht and Fruk attempted to remain friends, If ever there was a great mast of pig feed in Connacht, Frook would herd his pigs up to Rucht and vice versa. One day when Rucht was herding his pigs down to Munster to visit his friend and feed his livestock, he said to Frook, You know there's a vicious rumour going around about the two of us. I've heard a few myself, yeah. They're always trying to divide the Munster and Connacht men. What rumours have you been hearing yourself? Well I've heard people say that you're more powerful than me. Frook was a little taken aback by this. Well, I mean, I'm certainly no less powerful, said the monster pig-keeper. Do you really think so? I mean, I'm not being bad, but I always thought I was very clearly far superior. You see, because they were pig-keepers of fairy kings, both Frook and Rukt were enchanters and shapeshifters, both incredibly talented and considerable with the ways of the other folk. Let's settle it today said Frook. Take this trough full of pig's feed. I'll cast a spell on it, that no matter how much your pigs eat, they will not put on any weight, whereas mine will become plump and ready for the dinner table. Go on, so, said Rukt. And that's what happened. Frook cast his spell, and all of their pigs ate their fill until there was no more left. At the end of the pig's feast, it was Frook's pigs that were fat as fools, and Rukth, had to return to Connacht with emancipated puny porcine. When Rukth returned home, everyone laughed at him. I guess the rumours are true, buddy. That monster pig man is way better than you. I don't know, we'll see about that. Frook will have to come to visit Connacht soon to have the pigs feed from our trough. And when he does, I'll get him. Soon enough, as pigs famously love to eat, the monster pig keeper travelled with his swine to Connacht, and Ruct was ready. No, I've performed the exact same spell on this trough. No matter how much your pigs eat, they won't gain as much as an ounce. The pigs ate, and Ruct was proved right. So the general gossip became that the two pig keepers were quite evenly matched. And while both Bo, the fairy king of Munster, and Uchul Achna, the fairy king of Connacht, were initially delighted that their two all-too-pally pig keepers were finally at each other's throats, The two kings soon became frustrated that all their pigs were so skinny, so both Fruch and Rukth were fired. The rivalry of the two pig-keepers only grew from there, and it grew to the air. Both Frukh and Rukth transformed themselves into vicious birds of prey, and for two years they fought and clawed and hunted each other from Connacht plains over Munster Mountains. Those below who grew in fear of the two ferocious birds knew them as Ingen and Etta, Talon and Wing. But after two years, the fight was still not over, so they both turned back into pig-keeper form. "'It's been two years, and we're still no closer to deciding who's the best,' said Of "'Course we haven't,' said Rucht, "'because we've been on the wrong playing field. We are men of Connacht and Munster, men of Ere. Our terrain is not the sky, it's the water.'" So the pig keepers turned themselves into frightful sea creatures called Bled and Blood. One entered the River Shannon and the other the River Shore. And they spent a further two years terrorizing the rivers and coastlines of Era. The salmon were never as scarce or awful to taste as during the quarrel of the pig keepers. As each one would try and devastate the river of the enemy. It was the land they took to after the seas and rivers, and the form of two great stags they took the shape of. They would meet every day in an open field and clash antlers, charging and stabbing each other, but neither capable of dealing the final blow. If either ever nested or settled down with a doe and had a few fawns, the other would ruin their nests and murder their children. And so it went on. For a brief time, they actually became men once more, and attempted to arm themselves and fight with sword and shield. But they were pig-keepers through and through, and neither could wield an edge weapon with any competence. "'What will we be now?' said Froak. "'Let's be ghosts.' "'No, let's be dragons.' are dragons?' "'Eh, it's like a a flying dolphin. "'They have them in Wales. Let's be ghost-flying dolphins, so. And they did. Fruach and Rucht turned into ghostly phantom dragons who flew and haunted and burned each other by land and sky, night and day. It had been nearly a decade of this quarrel that had terrorized the countrysides of Connacht and Munster. Running out of creatures to transform into, the two pig keepers finally took the form of Cronach and Tinnach, And they were the most significant forms of all. They were maggots. And Cronach, formerly frook fell into the estuary for the river Cronan in Cooley, today in County Loud. While drinking from the river, a cow swallowed the maggot. This cow belonged to a man called Dara MacFiachna, And coincidentally, back in Connacht, another cow swallowed the other maggot. But this cow belonged to King Alil and Queen Maeve. Both cows became pregnant and gave birth to two bulls. Rukht was his name when he was human, but he had become his final form as Finn Banach, the white-horned bull of Connacht. And Fruk became Dub, the mighty brown bull of Cooley. And the quarrel of the two fairy pig keepers, which lasted years, had crossed forms and species and dimensions would now come full circle, because it is over these two bulls that the bloodiest war era has ever known was fought. There is no more prelude, no more forward or preparation. This is what has led to Anton Bokuna, the cattle raid of Cooley. To be continued. And that was The Quarrel of the Pig Keepers on Fireside. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, very different to any of the last few stories we've been doing, any of the stories in the Ulster Cycle so far. Of course, one of the things that I have missed when doing the Ulster Cycle is that up to this point, I've always alternated between weeks, between folklore and mythology. But there is just so much of the Ulster Cycle to get through, and it is all such killer Such killer stuff that it um, I just wanted to dedicate the podcast fully to it Um, and I hope to interject every now and then because I do miss the folktales and I do think they do add the level of balance to the often bloody intensity that can be the mythology, particularly the Ulster Cycle. But this story, the quarrel of the pig keepers, this is most like, like a folk tale that I've read in any of the myths. Certainly, like it's most like any of the stories. Um, like what was what was the tale of the two boys, uh the strawberry eaters? This is terrible. This is what happens now when it's over fifty episodes. You start to uh, you start to forget the names of some of the characters of the. To the moniker and Maniker, that was it, of uh, two fellas, one of whom would always eat the other strawberries, and so he enlisted the help of inanimate objects and animals to try and slay his enemy. There's something very just pleasing to the story-selling years, I think, of just this story of two, two pig keepers being friends being enemies, and fighting in all of these various different forms, including, like, dragons is written in, in Thomas Kinsella's adaptation of the Tawn, which is my Bible for these adaptations. I kind of added the twist of, because they take the form of ghosts and then dragons, and I kind of formed them into this idea of ghost dragons. I was very interested in that, that uh, this is the first time I've ever seen dragons being mentioned in Irish mythology, so I was interested to try and Explain how would you explain what a dragon was to someone in ancient Ireland bearing in mind that Ireland doesn't even have lizards really it has frogs I guess could have said like a flying frog but a dolphin I thought was the one that said the most funny of just like this long shape because yes Ireland does have dolphins particularly in Munster it was also just a nice break because I made the very, very stupid commitment to have a hazard at the guess at the uh, Northern Irish accents of the Ulster Cycle. Because it is the Ulster Cycle. There's no point in pretending it's not. And I have gone, dipped in and out of doing accents for the entirety of this podcast. And I love doing them and want to get better at doing them as, as a performer and as an actor. But... They became incredibly tricky when I was alternating between Scottish and Irish for those couple of tales, which really started to mess with my brain and then made me feel like I couldn't even speak words anymore. So it was a lovely break to go back into Connacht and Munster accents. Um, Probably as bad, but ones I still feel more comfortable in my caricature impression of, for the intents and purposes of this, certainly, of our two fairy pig keepers. But so that is, they, in maggot form, they enter these rivers and they become these two bulls, these two bulls that this entire war will be fought over. If you are totally unfamiliar with uh, the the cattle raid of Cooley and the Tawn, which is what we're finally moving into now, this is, it is the odyssey of, of Irish mythology. It's the greatest war. It's the greatest tale. And greatest series of tales, rather, it's it's what Cú Cullen is known for. It's what Queen Maeve is known for, and it is all fought over these two bulls, Dove and uh, Finn Banach, the white Horn bull of Connacht and the brown bull of Cooley, and every one of those prequel stories that we did, introducing Concobar McNessa, introducing Deirdre of the Sorrows, Kukulin, Kukulin's son, and these two pig keepers. I'm delighted that I did all that because these were all I knew the tawn well enough, but I didn't know any of these prequel stories and I really think they've enriched the world and they've they've been a really great foundation because the tawn, the adaptation of it, it it isn't individual stories. It's one kind of novel length tale. So Adapting it will be a different kind of challenge of which when I did the story of Mad King Sweeney was a bit more of a, a test of that of of doing a kind of parts of a story rather than individual chapters like I'm still trying to see what how much I can condense it down to it'll be about seven or eight episodes I imagine to even get a broad stroke of the story of the Thorn. The gospel of which I'm using, as I said, is Thomas Kinsella's incredible adaptation from the 70s. Who was the first one? He was the first one to adapt it into English with all of the sex, blood and violence still intact. And fair play to him for that. And he did it with illustrations by the great Irish artist, my favourite, Louis Lebrocky. And as I say, if you can get your hands on a Thomas Kinsella edition of The Tawn, I highly recommend it. There's nowhere better you can go for it. Um, but also an incredible adaptation is Kieran Carson's more recent um, adaptation, which is really streamlined. It's it's really readable, like it's really short, it's just right down to it, but it doesn't contain any less of the impact or the sex, blood and rock and roll and violence of, uh, of Kinsella's one as well. It's just much more condensed, whereas Kinsella's is much more expansive and has these prequel stories in which I was so delighted about. I formed some of them together, but ultimately they all warranted their own episodes, including these last two, which obviously were slightly on the shorter side, comparatively speaking. But again, I think there was enough there. There certainly was no putting The Quarrel of the Pig Keepers alongside last week's episode, which was Coo only son. But they are both, they are both the story in that... That is the fun and why I adore Irish myths so much is that within the same framework, within the same collection of stories, you have this tragic tale of a young boy being murdered by his own father. And then you have two pig keepers transforming into birds and dragons and maggots uh, trying to prove who's the best between them uh, within one within the space of one week and in the space of two chapters in one book. And uh, that's that's really when you get down to it. That's my favourite thing about folklore and mythology, particularly the Irish, because I think that's what the Irish are like as a as a nation and a race. Even still, we uh, we're a very serious people, and we can't take anything seriously at the exact same time. So we have a lot of we have a lot of great tragic and serious art, but we nearly are incapable of not imbuing that with some level of humour. Like I always think that uh, the phrase "black comedy" when it comes to Irish writers is, is a, uh, is just irrelevant because I think it's just an automatic presumption that if it is an Irish play, it is a black comedy unless it's very clearly a lighter comedy, but if it's claiming to be a drama, it's definitely going to be imbued with that dark Irish sense of humour, and that's what I adore, and you don't have to look like, you look at John B. Keane, you look at Martin McDonough, Brendan B., and any of these great Irish writers, McDonough obviously being a British-Irish, like very much a, an Englishman, but with Irish parents and written an, an awful lot about Ireland and about his, uh, his, his up, upbringing and his visits over there. But it, that, they are all dark, dark writers. John came with The Field and um, Brendan Beam with The Hostage and The fellow, But also just with this incredible sense of humor all the way running throughout it. And that's, that's us, really, when you get to it. That is what the Irish are. And I really, I'm so excited it. It's it's a year now. We're 53 episodes in and we're finally doing the thing that I was waiting to do since the first episode, which is to adapt the on. But I, I have needed this year of adapting to build up some level of skill and confidence to be able to adapt this now. And I cannot wait to do it. But next week, we are going to have a little break, as this is the only little break we can, uh, from the Ulster Cycle, and we're going to do the Fireside Christmas special, which I wanted to tie in with. I am still in uh, in the run of A Christmas Carol here in the gate, and each, each night is wonderful. I am enjoying so much going in each and every night to do this show to a sellout audience every time. Um, it's just been one of the greatest experiences of my life. It's the best theatre I've ever worked in, and it's just such a serious cast and crew involved in it, and I'm loving every minute of it. And so A Christmas Carol, which is, of course, one of the most famous stories of all time. It's a brilliant ghost story. It's a brilliant Christmas story. It is very much like a folktale. It has become like this master folktale almost, in that we all know these elements of it, and it has this um, these uh, supernatural elements to it, which weren't all too common in Dickens, comparatively. Like it's mostly very stark realism, um, and of the bleak, the bleakness of Victorian Victorian England. But in A Christmas Carol, we have this story of Ebenezer Scrooge being conv- uh, visited by three ghosts. But Charles Dickens kind of plagiarized himself in uh, in for A Christmas Carol in that he had written a short story as a part of his very first novel, The Pickwick Papers, called The Goblins Who Stole a Sexton. I think I mentioned this briefly on one of the other episodes when I was in rehearsals. And this was a story I read during rehearsals for Christmas Carol. And it is basically, it's where he got his own story from. And the god you see in, in the goblin Who Stole a Sexton what would become the novel or the novella of a Christmas Carol. And so I thought as a Christmas special I would just do a reading of this this short story. Kind of like I did with the Halloween special of reading just some other extracts. I really enjoyed that and I think like this is this is a podcast like that revolves around that bread and butter and is the bricks and mortar is folks lore and mythology. But it is a storytelling podcast overall. And I always want to be able to expand to other works of fiction um mostly Irish, but we can venture out to the kind of father of Christmas, Mr. Charles Dickens. And so I hope you all enjoy that. I'm gonna enjoy recording it. And that will be next week and then we will finally get into the meat and tooth edge of the thorn. and what What an end to 2019 it is going to be and what a beginning to 2020. God, we're going to be in 2020, dear God. So thank you so much to all of you for listening. Thank you to Alan Paddy here at Headstuff. Thank you to Jamie, my producer, for continuing to edit and produce this podcast. And uh, please do follow us on Instagram, Fireside Bard. And I will see you all. You will hear me all next week around the fireside. Thank you and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.